there a special? No special. Okay, you guys can go down. Amen. Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house tonight. I was told for Pastor Daniel to make sure he got in the back because tonight we have something special for you children. Uh, Pastor Daniel and Mr. Drew are going to be teaching you guys uh, some different Bible stories and I think missionary stories. So children, you are dismissed. You may head to the back to uh, uh, Pastor Daniel. You don't want to stay and listen to me, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. Well, good. Well, it's my privilege to be here uh, this evening to preach the word. And uh, I've been going through a series on the urban legends of the Christian faith, and I felt like really we could do that forever. (laughs) There's a lot of urban legends. There's a lot of things that we believe that are just simply not the truth. It's not reality. And um, but I felt like it's time to move on to something else. And the Lord's really laid on my heart to start um, a message, a series of messages in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole book, okay? Uh, but I do want to look at the seven churches uh, in Revelation. And I believe those churches are very, and the message to those churches is very paramount and very practical for us today. And uh, I just finished the book of Revelations in my devotions. And uh, boy, just um, just a lot of stuff. And there are a lot of things I don't fully understand. I've got training on certain things. But even then, it's there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there, but I think with these uh, the messages to the seven churches, I think we can get a little bit of a, a handle on and some grasp on. And um, but really, as I was preparing to uh, preach on the church of Ephesus, uh, which we're going to entitle the Loveless Church, um, I realized that really I need to back up and look at the vision of Christ. And uh, so this afternoon, I really <laughs> spent time studying and saying, Lord, I think this is what you really want me to do. And and uh, as I printed up my notes uh, tonight, for whatever happens, sometimes you can put little comments on there, and uh, my notes just shrunk big time. So if you see me squinting up here, it's because I'm trying to read my notes. Um, but I, I believe that God just has this for us. Um, we've been studying the book of Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, in Sunday school, and really just looking at the the end times and uh, just the um, the truth that Christ is coming back again. We know not the hour, but he's coming back at any time. And so there's just such great truths in here. So tonight I want to preach a message on the, vis- the vision of the resurrected Lord. So hopefully you're in Revelations chapter 1. That's where we'll be today. And I'll, I'll probably read the whole chapter. I think it's good to get the the whole context here and then really focus in on the last Uh, verses starting in verse 9 to the end. Um, So let's start reading, if we would, in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1. John writes, the, the Apostle John, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard people say, turn to the book of Revelations? It's actually one revelation. It's it's by Christ and it's about Christ. Who God gave unto him. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. 
Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also who pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall will because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, who is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother in companion in tribulation, And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest write in a book, send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest are the seven churches. Wow, let's pray. Father in heaven, you promise a blessing for the reading of your word and specifically the reading of the book of Revelation publicly. And Lord, as we take a few moments tonight to try to discern truths from your word and apply them to our lives, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful unto you. You'd help us to see Christ highly exalted, to see the resurrected one, the lamb who was slain for us. I pray, Lord, that we would we would give our full allegiance to him. And Lord, as we start a series and talk about these seven churches that were in Asia Minor and the messages that were given to them. Lord, I pray that you would affect our church, that our church would be a church that has a very bright candlestick 
that you would just shine brightly in this community. And Lord, that we would have those characteristics and qualities of a church that uh, pleases you. And uh, Lord, no doubt with our church, there's a lot of transitions, a lot of things going on. And Lord, we want to be just faithful to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us this evening to to just look and, and hear from you. We thank you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you notice, really, verse 19 is, gives the outline for the whole, book of the, the whole book of Revelation. It says, write the things which thou hast seen. In chapter 1, we have this vision of really the resurrected Lord. It talks about him being alive again, the beginning and the end. And then it says, of those things which are. Okay, and that's what we'll get into with the message to the seven churches and then those things which are to come, which really is chapter 4 all the way to the end. It's a good outline for the book. It's what Paul was given from the Lord uh, himself. And so this, this evening, I want to focus in on this vision of Christ. Oh, there's so much in here. And uh, really starting in verse 9 and, and going to uh, verse 18, we have this amazing vision of, of who Christ is in all of his glory But I want to look at, first of all, the voice of the resurrected Lord to his banished servant. You see, John, who's writing this, as it says there in verse 9, it says that he was banished. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. Uh, The island of Patmos was about 40 or 50 miles from Ephesus, where John had been a church leader for many years. He'd been a church leader there, and now he was banished there because he was a leader of the Christians. And because of during the time of Nero and because of the Roman government, there was persecution that had came about upon the church. One historian named Jerome says that John was banished in the 14 year after Nero and liberated on the death of uh, Domitian. This would mean that he was banished to Patmos about 80, 49 or 94 and liberated about 80, 96 Patmos was a barren, rocky little island belonging to a group of islanders called the um, Sporads. Ten miles long, five miles wide. It was less than 40 miles off of Asia Minor. It really would have been a place where they would stop on their way to Rome or after they came from Rome there and then on to Ephesus. Normally, this would have been a place for political um, folks to be asylum. They would go there. They could walk around on the island. They could do whatever they really wanted, but not not for John. John, because of his powerful influence upon the church, um, was banished there, really. And one one other historian said he was preceded by scourging, marked by perpetual fetters or chains, scanty clothing, insufficient food, He would sleep on the bare ground, a dark prison, work under the lash of the military overseer. It was not a joyous occasion for John. But it was, as he says here, I, John, who also am your brother and your companion. He writes in such humility here to the churches, the seven churches, one of them being in Ephesus where he was a leader there. The other six all being that Asia Minor, that area of Turkey. And he's writing back to them and he's saying, you are my brothers. You're my brothers. He's not writing as an apostle here. He's just saying, you're my brothers. You're my companion in tribulation. See, they were going through the suffering. He was he was being banished. He was there for two years. 
he was he was going through this persecution. He's saying, I'm a companion. I'm going through it with you. And he says in the kingdom, he remembered that his kingdom was not of this world, that his savior was king of kings and Lord of lords. And as you read through the book of Revelation, that will that will come up and Jesus will return on on his horse and his name on his chest will be king of kings and Lord of lords. And it said earlier in verse six that we are kings and priests. And so he he relates to these seven churches in humility. But the reason he's exiled to this island of Patmos, it says in verse nine, was for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Somebody asked in Sunday school today, when will it be that you'll that you'll have to take or you'll you'll have to decide if you'll take the mark of the beast? Um, And in the book of Revelation talks about this, and I believe it's during the tribulation period. Uh, where exactly it doesn't say um, that that I can recall, but there'll be a mark for a mark of Christ also. Uh, the mark of the beast could be there's different speculation about that. But the fact is, there's people now that are persecuted um, in the churches around the world that they may not take a mark, but they have to decide whether they will follow Christ or not. And many of them are imprisoned simply for being a follower of Jesus Christ. As I've read, um, Gladys Elwer, we just finished it up on uh, Christmas, the day after Christmas with my boys. And uh, all the, the horrible things that were taking place in China during the, the World War II, the, the missionaries had great liberty to preach the gospel. Uh, Gladys was called a foreign devil, okay? Um, but but uh, once she got to know the people, loved the people, they started calling her the virtuous one. She had a great ministry. But as the communists started to to um, gain power there in China. And then the World War II and the communists and the nationalists started fighting. Pretty soon, once the Japanese left, the communists started fighting their own countrymen. And China said, we cannot go. We cannot fight the Japanese. They really left it up to the Americans and, and others. I think some Americans are pretty upset about that. But they had to, fight, they had to, try, to try to take care of their own country. But to this day, and after that, there was much persecution. There were people that were literally, they had to say, I'm a, if, I, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, you'd be put in a concentration camp. And there's places like that today where you, literally, you may not take the mark of the beast or have that or whatever those different decisions, but the fact is there's times where we need to stand up for Christ. It was said, even down in Roseburg, where there was that person that was asked, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. And they were killed. You see, folks, we, we may not think that time will come, but the time is coming. As we grow closer and closer to the end times, the mystery of iniquity is coming. People are turning away from the truth. The son of the Antichrist will be the son of lawlessness. He will truly want to turn this whole society to go their own way. But but John here says it is for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ that I'm banished that I am here on this island. And really, it's, it's interesting. He's, he's put there, he's banished to this area, but yet God still has a ministry for him. Though his ministry changed, God is now giving him this revelation to pass on, and really so that we could have it as the word of God and pass on to the other seven churches. And we'll talk about those seven churches a little bit more. But John's un, he had an unshakable loyalty to the word of God. In his insistence on preaching the message of Jesus Christ and staying faithful to him caused him to be banished to this island. But it says here, and, and really the he's the banished servant, but there's a voice. 
You see, as he's on that island, he said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The idea here was he, he was very much awake, but he was he was in the spirit. There was something of a revelation that came upon him. The Lord's day. I think that's a reference to the Lord's day, a, a Sunday, God's first day of the week. And as he's walking, probably walking along the shore, walking, communicating with God, spending that time with his Lord, he, he walked with his Lord. He hears this voice to him. This voice that came out, and it says that this voice was as a trumpet in verse 10. A great voice. In the Greek word here is as a trumpet is trumpeting. We know a trumpet in different parts of the Bible are used for for declaring a message. And this voice he hears, and there's a lot of authority behind this voice to uh, this exiled servant. And though not a trumpet, but that... that, um, Sound of a trumpet that comes. And he tells, he tells John here, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last. He, Jesus is declaring himself the beginning and the end. And he says to John, he gives him this, this ministry of writing to the seven churches, the things that will be revealed. And all these churches, Ephesus, Pergamos, they're all churches. All were literal churches in Asia Minor. Was there more than seven churches? Sure. I believe God is using these literal seven churches to represent the type of churches at that time. And really, I believe through the ages, the type of churches that we have. There is some thought about this. Some have said that these churches represent different ages of Christianity. Um, and there's there's been some good scholars that have believed this, but truly, I, I think for a couple reasons, that's not good interpretation of the scriptures. One is after every church, it says there's a message to the churches. OK, so if one church was representing one time era, then it wouldn't be relevant for the other time eras. Does that make sense when it says to the churches? One other reason is the fact that Christ's return is imminent. We know in James in a James, uh, where is it? Got a squint here. James five eight. James says, "You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies these things says, "Surely I come quickly." Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. If all of these churches represent a different age and time periods, there would have to be all these things to be fulfilled before Christ could return. I believe that Christ can return at any time. I believe the scriptures say that. It talks about the imminency. We know not the hour or the time. He'll come like a thief in the night. All right? And so as John was given this message to give to these churches, I believe there's specific application for our church today. Though written to those churches during that time period, it represents churches today and how we need God's instruction and help and I'm looking forward to getting into the, the church of Ephesus. That's what I thought I'd preach on tonight. But I felt like God really wanted me to speak on this vision. And so he's given this. And there's a, uh, there's a position here. The, the position of the resurrected Lord, verses 12 through 13. We see in verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, just hearing this, this thunderous voice that's speaking and telling him to go and write this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Could you imagine being caught up in the spirit, walking along, hearing this thunderous voice? You, didn't, you wouldn't know what to think when you turned around. You know what I mean? Someone's, you ever had someone maybe startle you before in this thunderous voice? I know we've, we've startled Cheryl a few times in the coffee room upstairs. 
Um, but anyway, it wasn't because it was a thunderous voice. I don't know what it was. But, but turning around, he now looks to see who's talking to him. And what does he see? He sees the Lord himself. We don't, we don't have a lot of recollection of what Jesus looked like in, recorded in the Bible, other than right here. We know that he had a beard. They talk about plucking out his beard. We know that he wasn't real, um, I don't know what the word is, comely, I think the Bible uses. Not that everybody would go to him for his looks. Uh, like Saul, the first king of Israel, everybody looked to him. He was a good king. He had the right figure, the height, the, you know, the, the muscles, whatever. We don't have a lot. But in this passage, we find out a little bit more of Christ. And there's, there's some symbols in here. There's some similes used, like or as. And we find that often in the book of Revelation. John, John can't fully describe all these things. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't know how to describe all these things. Now, he's, he's going to give some similes here. And these things, I think we can understand more. But he talks about Christ. But really see the position of the resurrected Lord here. It says in verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man clothed with the garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with the golden girdle. And so as as John looks at the Lord Jesus here, he sees that there's seven a golden candlesticks around and Jesus in the middle. And we already know from the end of this passage that those candlesticks represent the churches. Notice that they're candlesticks. They're not lights. You know what the difference is there? The candlesticks is something that can be lit. It can give off the light and can be used in a great way and have a good influence. But truly, Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? He's the one that puts the candlesticks um, in flames so that they can have an influence. And often, as we'll see the, the message to the churches, it says, and don't let your candlestick what, go out, lose its influence. And truly, as we'll study more in the book of uh, or the church of Ephesus, their candlestick eventually went out. There is no church in Ephesus today. In fact, there's not even really a town in Ephesus. There might be real small, but it, it, it's lost its influence today. Folks, I'd hate for Westside Baptist to lose its light, right? And truly, I, t- I hope we take these things to heart as we, as we think about these things. But as he talks about this, he, there's the seven candlesticks and Christ is positioning himself right in the middle of it. And he is truly the light. He gives the light out. He is the light of the world as we are the underlights. And we are told to let our light so shine before men that they may see Christ in us, may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And it talks here of the Son of Man, verse 13. He's clothed with a garment down to his foot. It's the idea of a robe. And probably it's the idea of a high priestly robe. It talks about the golden sash that goes across. And so just in reference to how Jesus is the great high priest, he humbled himself, became flesh, We know this, that the blood of bulls and goats could not satisfy the wrath that we deserve, could not atone. It had to be human blood that would be shed. And as we celebrate Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, Christ literally took on flesh and blood so that he could live that perfect life. His perfect life 
was just as important as him being and dying on the cross. We realize that, right? By him not being perfect, he could not have atoned for our sins. But he not only was the great high priest, he was the great sacrifice that would be offered on that cross. He was as a lamb without spot or blemish. And as you read through the book of Revelation, you'll see there's times there where John says, the lamb who has been slain. The picture there is of a slain lamb. And even as you read about in in the Gospels there, how Jesus showed himself before the disciples. And he said, look, look at my scars on my hands. Look at my side. See what I have done for you. It's a picture of the high priest offering himself so that we can be at one with God. As the veil was rent in two, that we have direct access to God the Father through Christ to a, to a throne of grace which is made possible because of the great high priest shedding his blood for us. And as we saw early, him being raised from the dead. And so the great high priest is standing in the middle of the candlesticks, of the middle of the churches, giving off that light, saying you can have direct access to God the Father through me. But I have got to be the central part of the church. You see it? In chapter 2, verse, verse 1, we, we read, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Truly, seven is, is a number of perfection and representing the churches or the church. Christ holds the seven stars. There's some thoughts there about what these stars are, as they'll talk about in chapter 1 also. But the stars is... Um, can be in reference to the, uh, as it says, the angels of the seven churches. There's, there's some uh, different interpretations of the angels here. Angel simply means messenger. Some have said it's the messenger, the, the preachers, uh, or the bishops or leaders of the churches, of those seven churches. Others have said it's like a guardian angel for the church. Uh, I don't know. I haven't studied more. We'll get in that more next time. But the idea I want you to see here is that Christ holds the stars. He's walking. He's actively in the churches. He's protecting the messengers and his presence is felt among the churches. One of the ways the church loses its light is when the Lord Jesus does not show up and do a work. We see the the position of the resurrected Lord in verses 12 through 13, but then we see really the picture of the resurrected Lord. This is the vision. Uh, Verses 14 through 16. We read here, His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. This this hoary head, as you call it, or whiteness of his head and his hair is really a sign of wisdom. Proverbs tells us, uh, The glory of young men is their strength, and the beauty of old men is their gray hair. Not only of wisdom, uh, and, and if you read through Proverbs, one of the Wisdom is personified. I believe that's a personification, really, of Jesus himself. He is, the, he is wisdom, okay? But also, white often represents purity, doesn't it? When we do the wordless book, down in Peru, we're going to go through the wordless book in the Vacation Bible School. One of the pages is a white page. That white page is to talk about how Christ cleanses us from our sin. And the cleansing we can have through him. But true, truly, Jesus is the righteous one. He is the one that is holy. He's without any sin or, or taint. And so we have this, this, gray, this gray head of hair 
And then it says his eyes were as a flaming fire. This idea of his eyes being piercing, discerning. You've seen parents with the (laughs) eyes of a flaming fire a little bit, right? When they're kids. I know what you've done. Okay, or you've done something. What is it? Um, But this is the Lord Jesus. Okay, as he's looking and he's discerning the churches and individuals. But it's a flaming fire here. A penetrating gaze of Christ. And truly, when we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, he will have a penetrating eye to see how we've lived our life before him. If we've given our life to him, what we've done for him, as we do it all at his name, all of our things that are done for ourselves are the wood, hay, and stubble that will be burnt up. But those things that were done for him will last. His feet, we read of, his feet were like unto fine brass, and if they burned in a furnace, okay, as if as if they burned in a furnace. The idea is that the brass has been refined. It's been, it's been. Um, The idea is like it's been rubbed or polished here. Truly, this talks about the trials that Christ went through for us. Talks about how he he lived that perfect life. He went through all the temptations, all the different things, and he endured the cross. He is that great high priest. And the voice as the sound of many waters. Really, this is the idea of Christ speaking with authority. When you go before the the waterfalls, there was one waterfall up in Washington. We had all this rain. There was one river. Had like 76,000 gallons of water coming down. It was per second. 76. Do you imagine 76,000 milk jugs coming down per second? The volume and the noise that would come. Christ was not a weak man. This is a very strong voice. And he's speaking and he's saying, listen. Write these things to the churches. These things uh, are what you're seeing now. This is what will happen in the future. All these things that will take place. Listen up. The voice of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, as we read in verse 1 of chapter 2. He's holding these stars, which are the angels or the messengers for the churches. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Jesus is called the word of God. In fact, that's one of the names that we'll read about later in the book of Revelation, or you can read later, but he's called the Word of God. We looked at this this morning, John 1, 1, he is the Word, he, uh, the, he was the Word, he, wait, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you know, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, when Christ comes, as we looked at it this morning in Sunday school, he will not, he will not pick up a hand or a sword or lay a finger on anybody. He simply will speak to them and they will be disintegrated. The word of his power, as he spoke creation in, he will speak that judgment that will come. This is the vision of the, of Christ. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength, this glory, this aura that was all around him and his face and his countenance. Can you imagine turning around and seeing Jesus like that? This is the Jesus who's in full control of the future. He's the one that has this message for the churches, that has the message for us. This is why really I couldn't get into to the, the church of Ephesus this evening because I thought, you know what? We need to understand who's giving the message. He's the all-wise one. Okay. He's, he's the all-wise one. He's the one that 
has the piercing gaze. He's the one that knows what it means to go through the trials. He endured the cross. He's the one that with the, the mighty uh, voice of, as a mighty waters. He's holding these churches. He's the one that is in all of his glory, can speak with power. But what was the response of this banished servant of the Lord to this vision? As would we be. Verse 17, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, or as a dead man. Such reverence. Even like, as I thought about Isaiah before the throne of God, holy, 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 what did Isaiah fell down? And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, when we see how glorious Christ is, we fall down and realize how sinful we are. This is the this is the Holy One of God, who's the great high priest who offered himself for us. You see, folks, we fall way short, way, way short. We have nothing to stand upon in and of ourselves. nothing. It all truly is through Jesus Christ. It's him. He's the one that lovingly, he doesn't just banish us. He doesn't just um, scold us and, and kick us, lay us aside. He what? What does he do here? He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. See, that shows such a meek, meek Savior that he's willing to put his hand and say, hey, fear not. That really shows his love for us. He could banish, he could judge us. We don't need our next breath. But he's right there saying, fear not, I will help you. I love you. God loves us so much. God is a just God. He is a holy God, but he loves us. And he's made a way that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can know him, that we don't have to fear. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. You see, the response here is he fell, he picked him up, and now he's going to want him to to write this. But he further says, I'm alive, I've conquered death. In fact, I have the keys. I have full control over uh, hell, or it could be Hades translated here, and death. God was in full control of all the events that would come. You understand that? He was in full control. Our right response ought to be to fall down and worship in reverence to him and to heed the message he has. We're going to spend some time over the next couple of weeks uh, looking at these, these messages to the churches. There's a lot of good. There's some things that are corrected. But there's some really good promises for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful this evening that we can study your word. Um, Lord, and I feel like we just really kind of scraped the surface this evening. But Lord, it's, it's a good reminder to us of the revelation of the Lord Jesus. That he is the almighty God. And um, that we need to heed his word. And Lord, we need to simply humble ourselves in reverence, in worship, in obey. Lord, we know that um, our, our natural man wants to go the other way. We want to be Lord of our own lives. But Lord, I pray that we would, we would bow the knee to you and that we would see that you are Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And what you say will last, what you say will be done. Our kingdom will not Last, but your kingdom will. 
So help us, Lord, as individuals, as a church, as families represented here, to take heed to the things that you have for us. We love you now. We thank you, and we pray that you'd be glorified. Help us as we go about this week to be that shining light, to let our light shine before others, that they may see Christ in us, that they may glorify the Father. Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.